Hello out there in podcast land and welcome. Welcome to the very first collaboration podcast between aleofatime.com and Molly Rose. Molly Rose is a um, fledgling brew pub here in Melbourne, being launched currently by Nick Sandry. Uh, Nick was on our previous podcast, so if you want to learn all about Nick, uh, jump back one episode in the Ale of a Time feed. Uh, but over the next 12 months, uh, I'm going to be joined by Nick and then a host of guests from around the industry to unpack all of the, the little things that that make building a brewery a brewery once you once you're done you know hiring staff to serve beers at the venue to selling beers into trade to to working out what your labels look like uh, we're going to really um, tackle these things from from all sides so for the first episode we are joined by Chris Domagala Chris is a Australian International Beer Awards trophy winning brewer uh, he won for his work at the Brownstone Brewery as the best new exhibitor. And he's embarking on his own uh, brew pub, similar in size and scope to uh, Nick's at, at Molly Rose, but it's going to be slightly different in approach, and it's in a different part of Melbourne. So we uh, get his thoughts on on why he's doing what he's doing and why he's doing it where he is. Uh, once we wrap up that one, uh, I'll be joined by John Salton from Brick Lane Brewery, which is a, a really ambitious, quite large brewery out uh, in Dandenong here in Melbourne, and he... Uh, he's been involved in not only setting up this this one, but also Hawker's Brewery, which is another reasonably large brewery here in, in Melbourne. So, um, yeah, we, we really talk about the the absolute tiniest versions you can do, uh, right up into you know some of the some of the bigger biggest in the independent space at the moment. Thanks to those guys for for all joining us on the show, and I should give an extra special shout out to the Patreon supporters for All of a Time. Uh, if we didn't have the the supporters that we do, we wouldn't I wouldn't have time to to put this together. Uh, each month and and really you know uh, attack this um, from all sides uh, you know e- even down to putting together theme music and editing it and all those things uh, you know e- every dollar that those people put towards what we're doing um, really really helps so big shout out to them uh, if you want to assist and you know the more help we get the more sort of unique little projects we can put together uh, you can jump on to patreon.com slash ale of a time Right now there is no web presence for this new project, but we'll, we'll build that as time goes and as the project starts to take shape, uh, we're, we're kind of feeling our way through, so we'd love to hear your feedback. We introduce this show. Do we just introduce it like this? I think so. All right. Uh, home is where the beer is. A special twelve part. We'll leave it at that to start with. Yeah, a series <laughs> of uh, basically the journey of Molly Rose uh, with Nick Sandry, who was on our last podcast. Um, so Nick is Molly Rose, kind of, um, as in the, the founder and brewer. And we're going to be telling his story of, uh, yeah, from from start to finish, of, of building a brewery, building a hosp- hospitality space. Um, 
we're going to bring some friends along the way and, and get them to sort of share their stories that are we're relevant. Uh, we've got Chris Domagala. Hey, Chris. Hi. You're uh, working on a similar project, but you're also brewing at Brown's. That's correct. You That's won a correct. trophy this yeah. year. What was the trophy? Yeah, it was the uh, Best New Exhibitor Award at the International Beer Awards in back in May. It's um, basically uh, if you're a new exhibitor to the competition, uh, you get one one chance to to win that trophy, uh, and it's it's an aggregate score and you have to get one gold medal for a beer and and whatever else you get contributes to that score and it's that overall score that they determine the best new exhibitor congratulations yeah that's um (laughs) when they read out your name i was like yes (laughs) yeah it was amazing it was completely unexpected we we did brew the beers specifically for the aiba so we tweaked the recipes a little bit um but and when i say we that's uh myself and hendo um he he still manages the brewing out at out at Brownstone. I just do the the hands-on dirty work. Hmm. Um, so for the first show, we are sitting in the space where this where your your brewery will be. Are you going to call it a brewery? Because it's slightly different, isn't it? Uh, there's a few names in the works. Okay. Um, I might not share them just yet because cool. I haven't decided. All um, right. But yeah, it's it's not going to be called a brewery per yep. se. Yeah. Um, and we're going to learn, I guess, more about the business model itself. But what we want to talk about, we're titling this Home is Where the Beer Is. So I guess the first episode talking about the home um, and finding a home. And Chris, I know you're looking um, for brewery spaces at the moment. Yeah. We did hope to have another guest and they've not arrived. Hopefully they're not dead. I won't say who it is just in case they are. We feel bad. Yes. Um, I will say that his croissant is here and that we're about to eat it. Yeah, yeah. As is his coffee. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I guess the, the big question is what do you, if you're looking for a brewery space, what do you look for? Either of you can start. start. <laughs> that's, that's a really broad and difficult question. Yeah. Um, for me, it came down to uh, refining the business plan first uh, and then choosing a site that sat with that business plan. Mm. Um, so I've gone for the brew pub kind of model. Um, so I've gone for a, um, a, a busy area, yeah. <laughs> as you can hear by all the cars and trucks going past, yep. um, in a fairly highly populated space. Smaller site because you don't need... Uh, a giant production brewery, um, yeah. Mm. To start off with, I reckon that's that's about it. Yeah, yeah. That you, that model is key. Like, it, it, there's no point in finding a site and trying to make the site fit the model. You you want to come up with that model first, and and that'll determine what your, you know, what what sort of space you need. You know, how how much beer you want to produce, and how much yeah, how much hospitality area you want, how many people you want in the bar. Uh, so your model's similar, and you're currently looking for spaces. That's correct. Uh, the considerations you mentioned, you know, busy, busy road, uh, populated area. Is that the same thing you're looking for? Yeah, yeah. So again, I'm I'm looking at the that brew pub style model. Um, there's plenty of spaces out there where you can put a production brewery, but if you can't get people in the door, it's not gonna it's not gonna work with that mm. that brew pub model. One of the things with breweries is deliveries. I quite often hear 
grain people complaining that they'd have to deliver to breweries and there's nowhere to get gear and um, with a brew pub in the city that's probably a challenge is that something you're considering do you mean delivering like like sacks of grain oh, okay. bulk products um, kegs in and out kegs in and out yeah yeah again so we're, so we're not looking at a very big if at all wholesale market so we're not too concerned with outgoing deliveries mm. um, it's certainly incoming deliveries that that plays in with yeah you do need the space that loading space um, and it is a it is a factor when going to council you have to tell them you know how many deliveries you expect a week and um, yeah the frequency and, and how long you're going to be taking up street space that's that's not really an issue for you Nick um, well, yeah, it is an issue. I've got a back laneway as okay. well. So I've got the front entrance and a back laneway. So I, I can uh, kind of double team it that way. Yeah. Um, and I'll be on the small side as well. Mm. So the deliveries will be minimal. Uh, I'll be trying to sell as much beer as I can on site so I can give it straight to customers, make sure they get it as fresh as possible. Um, did you talk yeah. to the council? Like, how much did you tell the council about what you were doing? Um, I chatted to the council briefly. Uh, it's it's pretty hard to actually get any substantial answers from them because there are so many different uh, so many different uh, variations that could come from a business model, and they don't want to they don't want to say yes or no without actually going through the several month process of looking at a permit and looking at a site and looking at the business. Mm. So it's really hard to get a, a solid answer, mm. um, and this is probably something Chris is going to come up against, but it's, it's also really difficult to secure a site. Uh, it's really competitive. So while you're spending a week trying to talk to council to get to the right person, mm. that site that you're looking at has already been snaffled by somebody else. Mm. Yeah, I was going to say, there, there's definitely like there's a process, a series of steps that has to be followed in a particular order. Council generally won't give you any advice until you give them a definite site. Mm. And with, but you kind of need that pre-approval from council before you commit to the site mm. you, you know you want to make sure that if, if you're going to commit to a site that you're going to be able to do what you want to do mm. uh, and there are you know there are things you can do with the lease in terms of not signing the actual lease until you get all the, the permits but then you have to have a landlord that's willing to willing to put their money on you to, to get to that stage mm. and uh yeah in my in my uh experience none of the landlords that i was applying with were going to come to that because they already had four other applications that were willing to take the lease with no um, with no caveats at all, with no conditions. So, so like a, a brewery is just a pain in the ass. They don't need... Pretty much, pretty much. Well, they, they didn't want to take any risk because they could just put somebody else in mm. and they would pay the rent straight away and not have to advertise if the permits didn't come through. So I guess what, what I did was I've got a town planner mm-hmm. uh, who helped me out a lot. Um, I spoke to councils, I figured out which zoning was right for brewing um, and then yeah, got this town planner so I'd see a site and say uh, 72 Smith Street, uh, what's, what are your feelings on that? And the town planner would come back and say well it's got this benefit and this benefit and this benefit but it's got this negative and even they wouldn't give me solid answers whether anything would be approved or not but they say low amount of risk and that's a good site to go for and so I'd jump in and start making offers for that site mm. did you get lucky because this is seems to be perfect 
I've spent 12 months <laughs> trying to get lucky. Um, okay, so it's not luck, it's work. <laughs> yeah, I, I spent a long time and I went to lots of different sites and I applied for probably three or four other sites mm-hmm. and I got sick of applying and <laughs> and I got sick of missing out. And so I, I jumped on this one when I came up because this is probably the best site that I came across as well. Mm. So I'm really lucky. Mm. Would you have changed your model if your site was slightly different for whatever reason? Absolutely. Um, so done a fair bit of design and layout work since we've found this site um, and it has the models changed a splash mm. the size of the tanks that I'm getting has changed a splash yeah the the hospitality side has changed um, all because yeah I've got this 200 square meter site as opposed to a 500 square meter site mm. which I was looking at elsewhere mm. does that also change your calculations to in terms of is this going to be a viable business? You've had to shrink things down a little bit. Did you have to recalculate, you know, can it, is this actually workable model? Yeah, definitely. Oh, hopefully definitely. you did, because otherwise... <laughs> oh, sh- shit. Far out. I hadn't thought about that. Um, no, 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 absolutely. I, I have a fairly robust uh, spreadsheet yeah. that I um, just changed the ratios. So reduce down wholesale amounts, increase retail amounts, because this is a... A much more populated area that I'm mm. in now in the middle of Collingwood um, so I'm hoping that I'll get a lot more foot traffic um, and that retail side of the business is going to be a little bit higher mm. and the wholesale will be a little bit lower um, so the business becomes viable the rent is actually because it's a smaller site the rents quite considerably cheaper than what I was looking at mm. so it's all um, half a dozen of this six of the other were you looking around Collingwood exclusively no no um, I would say that I was looking in a north yeah. exclusively because this is where I've always hung out in Melbourne, where I feel comfortable and it's kind of, yeah, mm. where I have authenticity to fit in. Where are you looking, Chris? Uh, so we're looking in the northwest, so that kind of Mooney Valley in general. Mm. Um there aren't any breweries up that way. Uh, if you just cross over the freeway into Brunswick, you've got at least five there. Uh, in, in the Moreland Council, you've got several more in the south in Melbourne City Council. Mm. At least one in Maribyrdong. Yep. A um, couple in Brimbank. So there's, there's kind of a little bit of a hole there in, in Melbourne um, that doesn't have any breweries yet. Uh, so I'd like to be the first to market. We're still... Still a little little bit of a way off yet, but mm. um, yeah, and 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 it's where we live. It's we seeing what the what the local area is, and and knowing that you know the the few good beer places there do pack out on a on a Friday Friday and Saturday. We kind of um, see that there's an opportunity in that in that area. So there's quite two different thought thought processes going on because you're in Collingwood. There's Six other breweries where you could probably hit with a rock. Um, whereas your I don't condone throwing rocks. <laughs> um, and you know that that's a benefit because people are going to come and hey, I can go to Fixation and I can come to Molly Rose. Um, whereas on the other side, you're building yeah, something where well, there's no one. Hopefully, the first first of many because mm. um, I, I think it is inevitable those those inner city. Um, council areas in Melbourne there's you know I did, I did a quick survey there's I, th- I think 31 councils that ma- make up the greater Melbourne area um, 
23 of those have physical breweries. So it's only a matter of time before, you know, before those other, other holes get filled. And, and I think Mooney Valley is one of those closer areas that, that still doesn't... I'd, I'd agree completely. I think that's a great spot to put a brewery. Um, awesome community over there. I used to live over in that area. And yeah, I, I really like living over there. Um, and something that I saw on my travels was um, breweries in the old world are part of communities. They are always central to communities. There's a butcher, a baker, and a brewery. Mm. And that's where the communities go. And it's not just a, a dirty pub for men to hang out at. Everybody goes to the brewery. Everybody knows it. Uh, everybody knows the brewers. And they just brew beer for their local community. They don't worry about uh, exporting it. They don't worry about this. It's the town. And that's ownership of the town from the brewery and ownership of the brewery from the town. So I love the whole community brew pub vibe. Um, it's, it's built into humanity almost. Well, the, I know in Belgium... <laughs> the brewer would usually be the mayor as well, like in a lot of villages. I like that. Well, a funny funny story in, in my research, I found out the first mayor of Melbourne was a brewer. Oh, there you go. What was, I'm going to assume his name. <laughs> Can't remember? No, no. We need, we need Will Zabel in here to give us the, the history lesson. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting. Um, I've been thinking a lot about brew pubs in industrial areas which you guys are kind of not looking at, but um, Fury and Sons is probably a pretty good example. Um, Kilo Park, I think, is there. Um, and there's nothing around there at all. Mm. And I, like, I went to visit, and it's, you know, it's quite difficult to get to. And I, in my mind, I was like, why would you put a brew pub out here? You know, they, they always had the brewery out there. And I'm like, who's going to come? Mm. But chatting to them and visiting, they're really busy because people do live around there and you know it's a maybe a 10 minute drive or a 10 minute walk but it's an industrial area and because it's an industrial area no one puts in a pub because who's going to open a pub around there there's no foot traffic so there's nothing yeah so then it becomes the center of the community and it's where people have to go i haven't been to fury in some but coming similar brewery that comes to mind is dainton dainton's Yeah, and, and when we went there on a Sunday afternoon, it, yeah, it was, it was rocking. There's was, was lots of people, lots of yeah. locals down there drinking and you, the beer. And you wouldn't think, and that's another one that's really hard to get to. Mm. Um, I guess for me, probably for all of us living west and north, um, but yeah, and it's kind of cool to see locals adopting it because it is the local brewery. Yep. Do either of you guys want to become mayor? <laughs> I'm not ruling it out. Okay, good. I like it. That'd probably be more in my partner's wheelhouse than mine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so you're looking at something a similar size to, to this? Yeah, I, I think so. Maybe we're looking at one location that's a little bit bigger, but yep. um, not not too much, not too much bigger. What are going to be some of the things you're going to make or break that location for you? Uh, at the moment, the biggest thing is the is the cost. The the area that we're looking at is stubbornly expensive um <laughs> it's it, a lot of there's a lot of vacant properties commercial properties out there that sit vacant for very long periods of time and the lease doesn't move like the the cost of a lease doesn't budge and so everyone's saying the real estate market's flattening and dipping residential yeah, yeah. but that's not true not with sure uh, commercial I, no I, my understanding is commercials is a 
the the lease cost is based on the value of the land, not not the value that you know, the, the emotional value that people put into a property. That is is like a fairly standard formula. Is that like I know nothing about commercial property. Do you guys know anything about it, or did you, do you have to learn that? Yeah, I've learned a bit. Yeah. <laughs> Had to. What um, have you learned about it? Um, leases are really long. Um, How long? Like five, ten years? I don't know, like the, the documentation. Oh, the okay, page, right. There's lots right. of pages. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, so the way, the way commercial leases go is you normally sign on for a, a period of time. Uh, mine is three years for the first one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you get the option to extend. Uh, because if you're going to invest into a property and do some work on it, um, for example, build a bar and a brewery, I don't want to only take on a three-year lease. Uh, I'd like to be able to have it for longer. So I've got a three-year with an option for another three-year with another option for another three-year. Um, I also didn't want to take on a nine-year lease, mm. not knowing whether my business was going to work. So that's why the three years is, is a good one to start Could with. Could you negotiate that? Like, what was the... Absolutely, you can negotiate that. There's, there is standards. Uh, three to five is normal for a, a, a well sought after site. If, uh, it's, if it's been empty for a while and not many people are applying, I'm sure people would consider a one year lease. It's all, it all depends on the landlord and the demand. They obviously would like longer if they want to keep the site as a commercial property. But if they're looking to develop it, in the future because commercial properties, warehouses are usually on pretty, well, are often on pretty nice bits of real estate that if you go upwards, you can make a fair bit of money from. Mm. Mm. Um, they might not give you a longer lease because they want to get the permits and turn it into a, an apartment block. And there's, yeah, th- there's definitely trade-offs with that, that lease, th- those option lengths. Um, after, so usually for that, that first period, that like the three years or the five years, you'll have you'll agree on a, a rent price and that'll increase yearly by a fixed known amount. Or, or not necessarily fixed, it might be based on CPI. It'll either be CPI or some fixed percentage. And so you know exactly roughly what rent you're going to be paying for the next three or five years. But at the end of that period, the um, they, they do what's called a market review and that's when the landlord has the opportunity to put up the rent. And it's... There are ways of appealing it, but it's kind of out of your hands as a as a um, as someone leasing property, um, and it's something you know the, the site that I'm looking at. The initial offer is is three plus three plus three, same as um, same as what Nick's got with Molly Rose. Um, but after three years, we're just going to be kind of finding our rhythm, and mm. and I um, would prefer a five year lease because. They, Gives me a bit more of an opportunity to, to establish that rhythm before a significant rent rent rise, mm. which in my area is is actually likely. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> what if I'm a landlord and I am putting a lease together for a brewery? Do I say like, don't fuck up my floor, don't remove the roof, or? Like, uh, are they worried about that kind of a thing? or They put a clause in saying it has to be returned to the state that you took it in, cool. which means usually, like, you know, at the very minimum, repainting if it's freshly painted. Um, anything you put in, you take back out. Um, it, there'll be options, like, you negotiate with the landlord, but 
No, it's because I imagine like I don't know if I'm a landlord, I don't know anything about beer, I don't really give a shit what goes in here as long as they pay the rent. I'll be like, I don't know if I really want a brewery in here. It's gonna cause me headaches. Or is that is that? Do you think that's how they think? Does anyone know that? <laughs> um, it really depends on the, the landlord. Yeah. It depends on the landlord and the, the site. Um, so this, this site, as you can see, I don't think they're going to ask me to put those bricks back in that corner over there when they get the site back. I don't know. There's some good-looking good looking rubble. <laughs> there's, there's a bit of rubble. There's some leaves in the corner. Um, it, it really depends on the site because you get commercial leases on cafes and restaurants as well. Yeah. So... They don't want you to mess up their nice cafe and ruin the commercial kitchen. Whereas here, this is a blank slate. Yeah. And as long as they get it back with a toilet and no holes in the roofs, no holes in the walls, they're going to be happy. Um, who owns all this property? Like, who are these people that own all this land? <laughs> How do you get enough money to have properties that you can then lease out the one place i'm looking at it's been in the family for 60 years yeah, right. and, and, and again that's why they can sit on it empty you know they're, they're not paying any mortgage on it they're, they're paying rates or whatever but um yeah I, there's a lot of so-called old money in in the area that i'm looking at and a lot of it's just owned in families that's something that um winemakers in italy were talking about i was talking about so talking to someone about brewing in italy and how beer and wine, the difference in cost. And I sort of said, why? If the taxes are apparently quite similar. And they said, because all the wineries have been there for like 100 years. So they don't have to pay. <laughs> they may have been paying rent. So like it's all, it's all profit kind of a thing. Mm. Um, yeah. I don't know where I was going with that, but <laughs> it's interesting. Um, I thought you were asking for my landlord's name. No, I no, like, no, oh, no. I don't no, know if no. I should no. say that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was a general like, yeah. I just don't know who owns property of this scale. Not me. Yeah. <laughs> um, you've got no outside area here, do you? No. No. Uh, was that a consideration? Yes and no. It'd be great to have a beer garden because I love drinking beer in the sun. Yeah. Um, uh, but, I mean, I've got a big roller door. So mm. it's essentially, we're, we're sitting in here now with the roller door open. I feel like I'm outside almost. Yeah. yeah. The light in here is pretty spectacular as well. We've got a big sawtooth roof. So um, with those two options, I wasn't too unhappy mm. with uh, no outdoor area. And um, I'm not a smoker and I don't really care for smokers. So <laughs> sorry, smokers who like beer. Um, it's hard getting smoking areas now mm -hmm. with the whole food and smoking laws so something we've considered with the outdoor area we we, we want to be a dog friendly place mm. and generally dog friendly means outdoors although there are i think it's a council by council thing whether they allow and, and depending on the nature of the business i don't think we'd get away with it if we had a kitchen um yeah i think kitchens seem to be the key or yeah. someone complaining yep yeah so are you the site that you have in mind does that does have, does that have outdoor space? Not not in its current configuration. A uh, little bit of um, footpath area mm. that we we could get a footpath permit trading permit for. Mm. Um, and again, we'd probably look at potentially opening up the front the front wall, the front mm. window, um, and have a little 
quasi outdoor area. It's it's a westerly westerly facing wall, so you get that nice afternoon sun. The um, smoking one, I guess, for people that don't live in Melbourne, is it Australia wide now with that laws? We don't let to smoke inside anywhere in Australia. No, so I mean the out outdoor, outdoor smoking and eating. It is a state by state. Um, state yeah. by state. So yeah, for Melbourne now, it's you can't have a smoking area and an eating area overlapping by three meters. I think it is. Yeah. And that's now, that's more in line with the rest. I, mean, I know that came in. I used to live in Brisbane. And okay. That, that came in like Can you 10, eat 15 years ago. in the smoking areas in Brisbane? No. Okay. No. And I haven't been able to do so for about 15 years. Which is, why is that? Does anyone know? Yeah, I, I, if you're having a cigarette, you can't get a bowl of chips. That's it bizarre. Does, it doesn't make sense. I mean, if you want to sit in the smoking area. Yeah. You can eat, eat a bowl of chips while you're there. Yeah. It's fine. If you want. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it's slightly slightly off topic seeing it is yeah but yeah I I I think they don't want so reading the I can't remember where I read it whether it's a planning scheme or or somewhere in council um, they don't want people because all right you have to smoke outdoors Mm. and out and when you've got an outdoor area you have to consider the noise the noise levels with your neighbors Mm. And having food in that area means that people would congregate there for longer. Mm. And so that, that would possibly be a, a consideration. They don't want people congregating. They just want, they have it, there's a smoking area, you can go out there and have your smoke and then come back in. So yeah, you're, not, okay. you're not creating a noise problem. Yeah, okay. That's interesting. Um, the other thing with, with brewery sites is power and water and wastewater. Tell me about that. <laughs> Was that a con- is that a big consideration for you, for your model? Um, so I've got three phase here. Um, because I'm not running a big commercial brewery, power's not a huge deal for me. Um, I'll have a hot, hot water tank. Uh, that'll chew up a bit of power. And maybe a pump or two. But apart from that, there's not too much. Whereas if I was in a bigger brewery, you'd need a packaging line and a centrifuge and centrifuge chew up the juice. Um, the, the chair that's empty next to us, man, that guy would have been perfect for the bigger brewery. He, he would have been spot on <laughs> because power considerations at a big brewery, it's, it's very important because it gets very expensive to upgrade your power connection. Yeah. Um, water, I mean, as long as I've got water coming in, that'll be fine for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you looking at steam fired or electric? I won't actually have a brew house in here. Ah, uh, okay. What, what's, your, what's it going to look like then with no brew house? So I'm going to uh, brew using uh, other people's equipment. So contract brew or um, gypsy brew, as, as you, whichever you'd like to call it, and then transport the wort, instead of transporting beer, transport the wort into site and ferment it on site. So I'll have tanks and barrels in here, and I'll do all sorts of different fermentation depending on which beer I'm making uh, and then package it on site here and yeah, serve it. So no brew house. Uh, Which I believe is what Topher does at Wildflower. Exactly, yeah. exactly like that. So the wort is going to be arriving in, I don't know, on the back of a forklift, on a forklift, on the back of a truck? Yeah, yep. it'll so be in a van or a truck or in a trailer. So do you need to account for where that arriving in, in the hospitality space and all that, like a, the Absolutely. path of that to get to your fermentation. Absolutely. So that's all built into the z- design. Um, I'm lucky enough that I have got the back alleyway, so I've got two doors. 
Mm. I'm also not going to be open uh, seven days a week. Yeah. So when I'm brewing, because the space is so, so small, when I'm brewing and packaging, there won't be customers in here. Yeah. Mm. It's like a Hop Nation in Footscray. When you go there when it's not open, it's just there's no room and then they move everything away and open up and suddenly it's a brew pub. Yep, exactly. <laughs> Where are you going to brew? Do you know yet? Or like, is it going to be nearby or is That's it going to be... Yeah, it will be. It will be yep. in Melbourne. Yep. Um, yet to be confirmed. Yep. Um, it is such a good idea because so much stainless on the... That, that's out there is so underutilized you know, mm. breweries brew one or two days a week and then the, the the kit sits idle for you know for five days if, if you can take advantage of that idle time especially if you're not having to to then ferment on on that same site because that that's the bottleneck is their, their fermentation space that's mm. why they don't brew more mm. um but yeah if, if you've got a, another place to ferment that's yeah it's a brilliant brilliant way of utilizing what's out there and yeah, making yeah, you, most of your space. You've hit you've hit the nail on the head there. That's that's kind of my idea. I have got a small site here, and when you look at the costings of a brew pub or a brewery, um, the services and the actual brew house, when the serv- the brew house and the services around the brew house probably take up over fifty percent of the budget spent on stainless steel and brewery. Uh, it also makes most of the waste um, in a brewery. So to go to somebody else's site and use their brewery that's already set up um, and like you say if they've got six tanks a, a beer takes 15 days or so to come out if they've got six tanks they're only brewing once or twice a week like you said Would yeah so I'm not using any of the fermentation space so they can keep making their beer and then they can utilize it to maximize their investment already I'll pay them to use it uh, and that means I'm helping them and they're helping me so it, it's it's a really nice kind of situation. Did that and that also I imagine makes the search for your location easier as well because you don't need to worry about that space. You don't wastewater is probably not a big issue. Wastewater is much less of an issue. Um, transporting grain in and out, get ridding, getting rid of spent grain. Mm. Uh, yeah, it, it reduces all of the um, transport in and waste out. Mm. Tell me about waste with you, Chris. Have you had to look at all that with your potential site? Uh, I have to be aware of it. I'm not at that stage where I'm actually looking at concrete considerations, but um, I've spoken to a few other breweries and, and seen what they've done. Um, we've got contingency for... Um, but essentially you need, my understanding, you need the equivalent of a grease trap for, you know, for a brewery. Mm. A, you know grease trap in a kitchen allows the all the crap to settle out before it before it enters the sewer mm. um you, you do have to be a, there are ph so acidity considerations with with brewery trade waste because you a lot of what you're sending out is either caustic or or um you know, clean cleaning cleaning solutions mm. uh so some water authorities will want that neutralized before it goes into the sewer um but the site, but again, it does depend on the size of the brewery. Mm. Um, I know, reading the uh, one example of a brewery that their their council was was happy just to let them drip feed into the sewer because by the time it it by the t- if if it was 
problematically out of spec with, with, with regards to pH. It was going to be diluted by the time it got to the treatment, treatment site anyway. So. Sounds like a great council. <laughs> yeah. Well. <laughs> um, also, when, when you wash a tank, you normally go from caustic, um, which is a base, across to acid. So they kind of neutralize themselves anyway mm. on the way out, um, which is a, an argument that a lot of breweries use. So Assuming you've got a holding tank and you're not yeah. dumping. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Council's are huge for you guys, right? If you get a good one, it's easy, and if you get a bad one, it's a nightmare? Is that fair? Um, From what I've heard, yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I, the, the rubber hasn't hit the road in my case yet. I, the council I'm speaking to has been very enthusiastic and to my face about it. I don't know what they say when I walk <laughs> out of the room. Um, and, and it depends face. on who you're speaking to, too, because I mainly speak to the economic development area, and they, of course they want a brewery, you know, mm. bring people into the, into the area, but um, it might be a different story when I start speaking to the planners. And mm. Mm. Yeah, each, each council has different priorities of what they want to happen in their areas in terms of new businesses and in terms of um, the positives and negatives from those new businesses mm. and the impacts that they'll have on their current residents and people that are already there. So uh, I guess they deal with those priorities in the best way that they can mm. to, well, all, all they're doing is trying to make their area the best it can be. So it's interesting, um, there's a distillery in the city now called Little Lawn Distilling and it's in a tiny, um, old sort of workers cottage I think there's, there's only one left in, in Melbourne and they're in, in it and they're allowed to open up a distillery and they're fermenting on site so they're getting beer brewed off site uh, or grain grain based spirit and then at a brewery and then f uh, fermenting and distilling on site good model yeah um, you should take you should think about that <laughs> I'll consider it uh, but Basically, the council at first are like, there's no way you can put a distillery in Melbourne CBD. Like, that's, we don't have, we were not zoned for that. That's whatever. Um, but he ended up, because it's got a historical connection to the site, and what he wants to do is tie in the stories of the gin to the story of the area. So, Little Lon in uh, Melbourne used to be like notorious for, you know, prostitution and gambling, and the little cottage was a, a brothel at one point. Um, so, he's, kind of tying on all his gins to those stories mm. and as a result he went to Heritage Victoria and they helped push the, the application through because they they outweighed the council in terms of no we want this to happen wow yeah that's cool so you can get I guess you can find new avenues based on your story and who you know who you can get from a government body to help you yeah. zoning is absolutely a, a critical with and most, from my understanding, most council planning schemes follow like like a template that's set at the state level, and then they make their alterations to, to, to fit in with their particular particular council area. Mm. The, the zone that we're looking at at, built, at putting our place into is called an activity centre zone. So, it, with an idea to bring, you know, to, to activate the area, uh, it's going to be like a commercial shopping hub, retail mix with uh, high density residents mm. now ordinarily a, a brewery would need to go in industrial zone not not even in a commercial zone 
Um, so what we'll the way we have to get a, not get around it, but the, the way to position that to count that we have to position position it to council as is that the brewery the establishment's going to be a bar first and foremost mm. the brewery will be ancillary to that business um, so it, it exists to supply the business only um, with the majority of product being produced being sold on site because um, otherwise yeah there's no way you could do, you could put a production brewery in, in that kind of area mm. has sort of the I guess adoption of food and drink culture where people are, you know, more excited about good food and good drink these days as a result of MasterChef and food documentaries becoming more mainstream. You talk about your, the council wants this to be an activity area. Is the knock-on effect that there are more opportunities then to put brew pubs in? Well, they still think? have to follow the letter of the planning scheme. Okay. And, and, if, and it's quite explicit. Even, even though our planning scheme doesn't mention anything about breweries... Uh, wineries get a mention, um, but but it is at the uh, bakeries get a mention. So you can't even put a bakery in, in that area unless it's ancillary to the business. Like yeah, the okay. actual baking of the goods is considered part of the the cafe bakery kind of. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Right. Interesting. Mm. I, I'm not sure what it is around Collingwood. I know there's a lot of breweries in the area. Yeah. Whether, <laughs> uh, whether they're, and I know there are production breweries that, that wholesale. Um, I happen to work at one. But yeah, yeah. But I don't know what they're what they're zoning. And having something like Stomping Ground, I guess, in this neighbourhood that's so big, so successful, um, I, you know, it has just been a positive for the area. Mm. But I can only imagine that that certainly it was one point industrial zoned. Yeah. Whether it still is. Don't know. I, mean, we I, can I can't. I can't remember what that was zoned at. I have looked at a, quite a few different applications because they're all available. People's yep. applications are all available online, so you can look at what people have applied for and add that permits and what they've um, what they've said that they were going to offer, and then what the councils come back and said that they can have. Mm. Um, so, my my interpretation of applying for permits and applying to put different things in areas is that if the letter of the letter of the law says one thing. And you can prove that you're not going to upset the local area. Um, you can always change that specific site to accept uh, a different use. Mm. So if, if you show that, yeah, you put in a brewery here, and it's not going to be spilling out horrible smells and leaking liquid here and making big thuddy noise in the middle middle of the night, then it might take twelve months or two years but you will be able to get it through council mm. and they will let you. Um, unfortunately, small businesses like mine, maybe like yours as well, we can't spend two years trying to get a permit. Mm. So we do have to follow the rules a lot more and be a bit more careful about where we choose to put our sites. Mm. So it turns out if you've got a lot of money... You can do what you want? Yeah. <laughs> if you've got a lot of money, you can do what you want. Yeah. yeah pretty much. It's a bit shit, really, isn't it? When are we going to tear down capitalism? Is this a, it's probably a different podcast. <laughs> it might might be. <laughs> um, what are some other considerations about sites that, that people would have no idea? Um, I wanted a character building uh, to suit my brand. 
Yeah. So I didn't have the business plan when I was didn't have the business plan fully crystallized when I was looking for a site. It was gonna sway either way, like you like you were saying before. Mm. In a less busy area, you go more to wholesale. In a more busy area, you go more to retail. Um, I knew that I wanted a character building because it fit with my brand and it fit with the way that I wanted to share beer. I wanted something homely and warm and welcoming and something with a bit of yeah character. Mm. Um, so I was really lucky to stumble upon this place. Um, that was that was my main consideration. I wanted something, a beautiful building that I could move in and it would encompass the Molly Rose brand of hospitality. <laughs> and um, be hospitable and welcoming and warm. Yeah. And I think we'll, future episodes we'll, we'll talk more about that brand. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. I, I probably hadn't thought of that as in a clean building at the bottom of a, a new apartment you know, like a new cafe kind of a space wouldn't work for you and that that you'd have to do a lot of work, do you think? You know, that's kind of yeah. shiny new places. Like, if a place like that came up, would you consider it? Yeah, I I, I don't know. I'd never, I never had considered it because I was always thinking about a place with character. Mm. Um, it would definitely take a fair bit more work to fit the Maliwaro's brand into mm. it mm. Um, I always wanted something with character and feeling and story to it mm. Chris is that something you've considered uh, look, it's def- definitely a consideration um, but we, we also feel that we could we could bring character to whatever we whatever we find mm. uh, we've got very we've got some ideas about what we want to do internally with the fit out and and we could sort of like even yeah we could make it make it work mm. we hope <laughs> <laughs> um anything else about sites that we haven't talked about that people might not be aware of i guess we're, we're talking very you know inner city kind of kind of area like something i thought about bef- on the way in was um yeah, there's a lot of regional breweries like just, mm. there's, there's a lot of opportunity there out you know in those regional areas to to set up um and it's great if you can if you can hook into the tourism the, the travel sector out there mm. um it's it's another business model again it's you're almost certainly going to be a packaging brewery there because you, you want stuff for people to take away take back home with them um is rent rent's a lot cheaper out in the country. <laughs> There's also sort of tourism grants and things you can yep. swing, right? Yeah, yeah. So I was looking at the Yarra um, as well. Mm-hmm. And you pretty much hit the nail on the head again. I, I, I did a vintage in the Yarra and came to love it and thought this is great because good food, good drink, good people, lots of, lots of tourists, lots of people coming through, going to wineries, wanted, wanting to try something new. So that's great for the type of beers that I like to make as well. Something a bit bit more interesting, a bit weird. Um, but I wouldn't have had that retail, regular retail sales mm. uh, that you do in a highly populated area. Uh, so I would have had to be more of a packaging brewery and then I would have had to go and sell wholesale as well. So I'd have to run the, run the brewery, run the tasting room and go and sell wholesale. I was like, whoa, 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 too much, too much. <laughs> 
I, yeah. can't, I can't do all of it <laughs> yeah. at the same time. And wholesaling in this climate, like I don't know how breweries do it. I, oh, hard work. It's, yeah. yeah, and a lot of salespeople. <laughs> yep. And and do you just mean competition right now is insane? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so it, it's you've got to go out and hit the ground and be in front of people and talk to people all the time to be wholesaling beer. Mm. And if I'm if I'm a new startup which doesn't have much money and I'm making the beer and helping run the tasting room and being the face of the brand out there, I don't have enough time to go into bottle shops and go into bars and restaurants and try and sell the beer too. So that's pretty much the reason because I would love to be out in the countryside because it is a fantastic business model. I love it. It's Mm. so good being that destination in the middle of the forest and have a farm and yeah, so good. And you can get a character (laughs) building out there, like you say, really cheap, but the business model all comes back to business model. Yeah, I just yeah. couldn't make it work. Yeah, um, yeah we, we, had, we had dreams of doing that when we first started thinking about this like 15 years ago. And yeah, it, it quickly eroded <laughs> as, as soon as you start putting, <laughs> putting some numbers there. It's like, yeah, no. <laughs> it almost needs to be a retirement. <laughs> yeah, it, it's certainly a lifestyle. It, it would be a lifestyle business. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, I think, uh, so we kind of alluded to it, I guess that uh, was supposed to be here that was big brewery background or working in a, a big brewery. Um, so I think maybe I'll try and get him at a, a later time and drop that in here for the listeners. Um, a bit of a chat about building a production brewery and how you find a site. Um, a lot of different considerations. Yeah, there. yeah. Um, I think that'll be valuable to add. Uh, but I reckon that's a good spot to wrap up. Hmm. Anything you want to add before we do it? No, thanks, Chris, for coming along. Yeah, not a problem. Chris, it's anything you can plug? I guess you're you don't really have a business yet to plug. No, um, not, no. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully you have a name sometime soon. Yeah, yeah that, that's another can, that's we, another story. Yeah, <laughs> we yeah. Can, we can do a shout out of your yeah, name because yeah, I'm yeah. sure you'll start socials and social medias. Yep. After I'm, that, so I may even get you back in to tell us about the name mm-hmm. um, issues that, that you've had. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we were hoping to to have had the name right at this point in time. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, MollyRose.com.au? Exactly, MollyRose.com.au and on the Instagram, MollyRoseBrewing. Yep. Oh, it's MollyRoseBrewing.com. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Wow, let me start again. MollyRoseBrewing.com. <laughs> awesome. No.au. No, okay, great. I'll put a link. Um, this is going to come out in the Oliver Time feed, so I'll put it up on the Oliver Time website as well. Um, thank you for, I guess this was your idea, Nick. This is, I'm, I'm really excited for the next 11 episodes. Yeah, me too. I think it's going to be fun. Thank you for, for hosting. Yeah. It's great. And for the croissant this morning. Yeah, yeah. So if it's always like this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and Chris, thank you so much for coming along. No problem. Cheers.
from some of the smallest breweries that are, are currently being built in Melbourne to one of the biggest independents uh, in Australia that is just has just finished building and they're kind of finding their feet in the wider market, and that's Brick Lane. Uh, John Salton was involved in Brick Lane right from the start, um, you know, finding location, designing the brewery and, and get, making the build happen. He was, he was there at every step of the way. So, yeah, my first question was... Uh, how do you find a location for, for such a large project? Well, yeah, look, there's a couple of things that we look at. There's, a, um, there's, the, there's just the, the cold, hard economics of things. That's probably the very first port of call. You know, we know roughly how much space we need to produce our anticipated, you know, um, output for the facility. We can look forward a number of years and think, you know, in, in 10 years' time, if everything goes exactly to plan, how much beer do we need to be making? And, um, and then uh, that gives us a rough idea of our space requirements from there. Um, really, it's just the, yeah, like I say, the cold economics. Where can we get that sort of land at the price that we need uh, connected logistically to the sort of the markets and the suppliers that we're going to be dealing with as well? So for us, we looked sort of uh, at a number of places. You know, uh, initially, this project had sort of changed a lot. The very first conception of building a like like Nick, a sort of a small brew pub that sort of grew and grew and grew and turned into a <laughs> turned into a huge project over the course of over the year from when it was first conceived to when we actually started construction. Um, and it went from a vision of a of a really small little brew pub and bar to um, to one of the largest um, production facilities, sort of independent production facilities in the country. Mm. And so we went from you know anticipating. Uh, you know, right at the start of the project, when it was just a twinkle in, in the founder's eyes, a couple of thousand hectolitres of sales beer per per um, per annum, all the way up to what we've got now, which is the site that we've sized for a final capacity, you know, with all of our subsequent expansions um, to produce um, 25 to 30 million litres of, of sales beer a year. And um, at that scale, yeah, at that scale, you just need a certain amount of space. You also need to think about Things like, um, yeah, as I was saying, the connection to um, uh, logistics networks, to supply of raw material, to supply for of, uh, of, of malt, of cans, of water. And so as we, as we got further and further down the path, we, um, we, we landed on Dandenong South, strategically close to our sort of our biggest markets on the east coast of the country. Um, it was uh, conveniently enough for us right across the road from one of our Main shareholders Jerry Ryan, who owns Jayco, so it's in a it's in a in a development that he um, that he put together a number of years ago, and right across the road from, from his big um, Jayco factory. Mm. But but more to the point, um, uh, it it has the sort of the, the square meterage that we need to be able to um, put in um, you know all the equipment and infrastructure that gets us to the the um, sort of the production levels that we aspire to one day be at. When you talk about um, you know availability to to production networks, is, is being near main roads like do you get to that level of like you know this is on the way if a truck is doing deliveries X amount of deliveries we're on that way like do you look at it from that sense? Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. You know, it wasn't the defining factor, but you know when we do the proper sort of SWOT analysis of where where are we going to put this site, um, mm. that certainly features in it. You know, if we're close to our likely 3PL providers and there's a number out here if we're close to some of our likely large customers and suppliers again we're around the corner from some of those guys 
um, it does make a difference in the um, in the overall efficiency of running the operation. So um, a lot of our a lot of our thoughts were um, in putting this brewery together to support local producers and local community as much as we possibly could. So a lot of our packaging, for example, um, is Australian produced rather than um, rather than imported from um, from from elsewhere, you know, from from China or elsewhere in Asia. Um, and uh, uh, you know, for us, there's a couple of benefits. You know, the, the ticking the sort of the corporate responsibility box and and supporting you know domestic Australian manufacturers, but also having shorter pipelines and shorter supply chains means that um, you know we're literally around the corner from from uh, Aurora, who supply all of our cans, for example. We seem to be making a lot more um, canned beer and a lot less bottled beer than we were initially anticipating because mm. of the, I guess, the moment the market's in at the moment. And um, and uh, it's it's amazing, you know, we can we can literally just jump in a car, duck down to the Aurora Decoration Center around the corner, perform press checks, see cans coming off the line, and have them shipped directly to us. Um, there's a whole range of benefits we didn't even think about in this relationship. Um, we can specify that the cans are delivered without pallet wrapping, for example, because they're not transported long distances. They're literally on a truck around the corner and unloaded. And that alone saves a hell of a lot of plastic packaging in our supply chain. It means um, less um, less plastic to, uh, to have to deal with on our end and, um, and less work also for the operators to unwrap pallets and have to deal with mountains and mountains of plastic wrap, which you wouldn't think of as a... <laughs> As a, um, a factor in building a brewery, but it's one of the one of the sort of the small unintended uh, unintended benefits of being where we are. Yeah, um, yeah. This is a build from the ground up, so uh, things like power and water. I, I guess you were kind of planning that aspect rather than being having that aspect forced on you. Is, is that accurate? We were. Just, just give me two seconds. Give me two sure. seconds. Sorry about that, mate. You're right. Yeah, we thought a lot about um, about our power and water and trade waste requirements because we know that these are going to be things that are, are likely to be the, the natural limits to growth. And you can run into some real diseconomies of scale, I guess, if um, if you don't factor these things in right up the uh, right up the front end. So yeah, we, we thought long and hard about this, and we were given this gift of a of a new of a new building. It's the first time that I've done a, a brewery in a in a purpose built um, completely greenfields. Uh, Sense, you know, building the building as well. So we had um, we had a good deal of flexibility there. We still had to think about practical constraints, however. You know, what headworks were required for our water supply? Did we want to put mains in, for example, for our eventual capacity? You know, at the moment, to give you a picture, we're sort of on track this year for producing just shy of three million litres of sales beer. Like I mentioned earlier, the, the, the facility sized for, for ten times that. You know, for um, for thirty million. So do we do we invest up front in say all the trade waste and water headworks required to feed that thirty thousand hectolitres, or um, or do we do we take a more phased approach? You know these were all questions we had a great deal of luxury in asking since it was a you know a, a brand new construction. In in Nick's project, you know one of the things that he's got to contend with, I guess, is all of these legacy infrastructure issues, you know, how much, what are the, what are the diameters of the pipes in his street, you know, how much power has he got access to? And that's, um, that's a whole set of challenges that, um, that, uh, that thankfully we didn't have to, we didn't have to really face here. That's not to say we're completely unconstrained, you know, we don't, um, we don't have limitless water or limitless trade waste or electricity, 
Um, and in fact, we know down the line um, uh, there may be a point where we need to up, upgrade a, an electrical substation, um, but but not for a good number of years for us. So um, so we were pretty lucky in that sense, um, in that we were able to sort of uh, with a with a blank slate um, plan how much infrastructure we wanted to sort of invest in up the front. And we generally took the approach of oh let's put it in now because while it may cost more it paves the way for really cheap and easy expansion, capacity expansion down the down the line. So we put a yeah, good deal of time into that. The main utilities, obviously, we have to think about a, a water, just how much town water can we get into the building, how much water can we get out, how much will southeast water allow us to discharge as trade waste, um, electricity, you know, power, um, CO2. Uh, so... You know, in small breweries like uh, like like ours and like like Nick's, more to the you know both you know we're not CO2 self-sufficient like the like the very very large breweries of the world that have um, CO2 reprocessing plants. We have to buy CO2 in um, uh, natural gas, which is our main um, source of uh, thermal energy, I guess, for heating heating our heating our process. Um, and uh, and they're the main sort of utilities we, we we need to think about, I guess, when 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 deciding on where to put somewhere. So they were all when we were looking at a number of sites, they were all uh, um, sort of the hard and fast boxes that needed to be ticked. We needed you know x number of megajoules of natural gas. We needed x number of amps of electricity. We needed um, so many megaliters of water and trade waste. You know they were they were um, they were the main. Um, that were the main sort of non-negotiables that we knew that we needed to um, uh, uh, have basically signed off on before we said yes or no to the site. How do you uh, go about getting to talk to someone at a power company about how much power you need or like, you know, what's, yeah. the, what's the approach there? Who do you ring? Yeah, <laughs> good question. And with a lot of these bureaucracies, you know, it's, it, it, it's literally down to that, you know, like, who do you call? Who's the individual person who will be making some of these decisions? And that's that's some of, I guess, the fun of um, putting a project. It'll be the same challenges for Nick as it is for um, as it was for us here. Who's the individual bureaucrat who'll be making some of these decisions? And and speaking to the right person is incredibly important. I guess the the approach we took was um, was first to understand really clearly what our requirements were first, so that we had our own house in order before we sort of went out. To, to talk to the power authorities, we looked at what our they are electrical loads were likely to be in our first phase. You know, this this initial phase we're in now producing around just under three million liters of, of beer a year. But then also look out further and anticipate what the electrical requirements are going to be going out further. So we had we had great electrical engineering support. You know, I go and sum up, I guess the you know the loads of all the individual machine centres. But it's not as easy as that, right? Um, there's diversification factors they can do account. There's a whole bunch of clever electrical engineering stuff that's sort of a bit above my head. So initially, we got a bit of electrical engineering support to work out both what our requirements were going to be initially and what they were going to look like five, ten years out from today. And then that's what we that's what we took to our to our power companies and to the the power retailers, and also to the infrastructure owners. Um, so to the guys who actually own the power networks here. Um, and we were able to determine, you know, how much uh, how much capacity there is, essentially in the street, you know, directly out the front of our building for us to plug into, mm. and um, 
and that was one of the I guess that was one of the main um, decisions as to where to locate the brewery. If you um, if you need a hard and fast 2,000 amps, you know, coming into your coming into your building, then you've only got 250. Uh, um, it's going to cost money and time and effort to get that um, get that updated. At what point do you start um, engaging the various stakeholders, say you know, local council, power companies? Uh, I guess wastewater is probably the council. You know, do you yep. do you do that as soon as you're planning, or do you plan the building out and then you okay, where will it work? Like, how does that? We actually happen? did it. Yeah, we did it right up the front. We did it in the in the sort of the feasibility or pre-feasibility phase. So we um we we knew that we didn't want to be stuck with a building, for example, that we then had to spend um you know hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars to upgrade, say waterhead works or power to supply. So we we made that a prerequisite. So um that was something that we tackled right up front. Um and the economics of this is really different, right, for a for a small brewery. So I um um. It's a pity Nick's not still on the on the line because it'd be great to hear his take on this. Because I mean, he's got a different set of requirements, right? You know, his are around. Um, he's building a brew pub, so his main um, uh, or one of his main decision-making um, factors, I guess, would have been location over everything else. Where are his where are his where are his customers coming from? You know, uh, where do they live? Where's the best place physically to put this brew pub to attract the to attract the clientele that he's after? Whereas with us, we're sort of we're a little freer in that in that respect because although we do have a venue here, we're by and large a um, a production brewery, and that's our main focus. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, look, we we ask those questions right up the front. You know, we engaged um, um, Southeast Water to to explore what the likely um, constraints were going to be on on trade waste discharge. They're our water authority here. And we did the same for a number of other sites that we were considering. Um, we talked to, yeah, to, the, to the energy network owners, to um, to the guys who own the, the natural gas networks as well and the natural gas retailers. And um, and likewise, to some of our other sort of key utility suppliers. And and we did that right right at the start, right before we even considering before we even considered sort of putting pen on paper on a on a lease agreement for anywhere. Do production breweries, um, you know, your scale and even uh, smaller, do they need to be um, in, you know, at, kind of out of the city and away from people? Is that pretty much just the nature of the beast? Well, I mean, it makes things easier in a sense. Um, <laughs> there are some around the world that I've seen that that are, you know, that aren't, you know, that are. I mean, our, our largest brewery in Melbourne certainly isn't. You know, Abbotsford, um, mm. it's, it's in a big residential area. And that's a brewery that's capable of producing, I've got to talk off the top of my head now, I don't know if it's correct, but I'd say probably north of 4 million hectolitres a year. Yeah. So um, a true national brewery, a true big brewery. And that's located, you know, in the suburb I live in, right, amongst uh, gentrified uh, gentrified uh, latte sipping abbotsworth you know so um, if they can make it work um, I'm sure others can as well that said you know um, the opportunity cost is massive right the, the value of the land that um, that Abbey's on is is uh, is hugely valuable for for residential and commercial development and and um, people of um, people have known this for a long time and speculated a long time about the future of that brewery just on that ground mm-hmm. um, then of course there's all the other raft of uh, of, of, of living with neighbours and being a good neighbour that you need to consider. So um, 
So here we're surrounded by Jayco, a big caravan manufacturer on one side, and L'Oreal on the on the other side. Behind us, we've got Cobbs, the popcorn producer, which mm-hmm. certainly makes it very interesting when we're trying to do our uh, diacetyl clearances on the beer. But uh, it's um, where, uh, you know, we, we've got industrial neighbours, you know, who are noisy. Well, they're, they're very good neighbours. I shouldn't say, I shouldn't say <laughs> that, but they're not they're not residential neighbours, you know. So yeah, yeah, exactly. We don't have to think so much about are we going to wake people up in their sleep. Um, that said, we work really hard to um, to be um, to, to be sort of minimal impact on these guys next to us as well. Um, so Nick, you know, um, again, um, it'd be great to speak to him about it. And I really can't wait to see his place. Um, he'll he'll have additional challenges in that regard. He'll have to think about um, you know the odor of the place. You know, boiling wort for a brewer smells wonderful. Not necessarily the case for everyone. Some people don't love the smell of um, the smell of brewing, and um, and if he's moving into a developed neighbourhood like um, like he is, that'll be that'll be a sort of a both probably a scheduling and an engineering challenge. He'll have to he'll have to um, uh, work to resolve. He's actually um, not brewing on site. He's going to oh, be he's brewing. Bringing in, of course, yes. Brewing, so, but I, I I have heard of that problem. Um, I know Temple Brewery used to get complaints, uh, yeah. they, they might even still get complaints, but when apartment buildings went up around them, so you know, yep. people predated the apartment and then suddenly yeah. people move in and started complaining. So it yeah. shows that, um, yeah, it's definitely an issue. Yeah, no, I um, I mean, as a brewer, I'm often on the brewery side, but as an apartment dweller, <laughs> I've got some um, some sympathy for the poor guys in the apartments as well. I yeah. mean. Um, uh, there are, you know, like um, even though we don't have a huge number of neighbours here, we 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 don't discharge anything to the atmosphere. So we 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 condense all of our kettle vapours here. So um, more from an energy point of view, but one of the other benefits is um, there's no nasty smells coming out of the brewery. So um, all of our work boiling, um, all the steam we generate from work boiling, we condense um, and we use it to make um, use it to make hot water. So for us, there's a there's a sort of a real benefit. Um, Energy-wise, um, to us, it really reduces um, the amount of energy we use in our process and reduces the amount of waste energy that we put out out, out of the building. Um, but yeah, one of the nice consequences is no nasty smells outside. Um, was there any anything that kind of was unforeseen that turned out to be a real negative, or you, you would have done differently um, regarding the location? Ah, uh, uh, look. It, it actually, I'd love to be able to share war stories, but you know, it went incredibly smoothly. I mean, we had really great assistance up front, um, you know, um, in both engineering assistance um, and uh, and building design assistance, and uh, um, it helped that um, it helped that we got shareholders like 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 Jerry, for example, who who developed so many factories in this area. Um, you know, he's worked really closely with the council in the past, and um, and they know him, and he knows them, and that he'll do the right thing in the development of this site. And so that really, that really helps the process. Um, that said, every project has challenges, right? You know, um, the builders, for example, um, were, were a wonderful company that did a really excellent job, but they were working for the for the landowner, right? Not not necessarily for us. It was the first brewery that they've ever built. You know, they've built plenty of warehouses all around the all around the country, and plenty in Melbourne, and um, this um, this for them was a very complicated process. You know, the 
the floor is made up of, you know, um, lots and lots of sloping sections. There's, you know, sort of in-depth trade waste um, piping and uh, pits that needed that needed doing. There's a lot, lot of technical stuff that went into the sort of the fabric of this building, opening sections in the roof to facilitate the, um, the lifting in or the bringing in of new um, tankage, for example, when we expand our fermentation cellar. All these little things meant that it wasn't, a straightforward, say, um, just build a shed project, and um, and as a consequence, it was tricky. Um, I guess one of the other challenges was um, just on the scheduling front. You know, um, the because of the realities of you know living in the real world, <laughs> timelines and Christmas and everything. It turned out that we didn't have a nice finished building to move all of our um, brewing and process equipment into. Um, you know, the the building was still very much under construction as we were moving things in, and the scheduling was really, um, really quite tight and down to the day. So, for example, we'd be finishing the slab section, coating it, and moving brewing equipment in still while other sections of the uh, floor weren't poured or weren't weren't completed. So it was a real intricate sort of balancing act, um, balancing the uh, you know the, the the installation of all the brewing and process equipment that was um, managed by us. I guess as the um, as the as the operators of the site, while still constructing the site, you know. So um, there was a big overlap there, and um, and and you know, not without risk, right? You know, a lot of people on site, um, uh, lots and lots of contractors, lots of different people from lots of different cultures as well. You know, main brew house vendors, for example, were German. Most of our labour on site was all Australian, but we had some German sort of technical experts for. Um, um, installation and commissioning and managing all these people and all these languages, big group of Italians for the packaging and doing it in a harmonious sort of way that, um, that was also very safe um, was at the forefront of all of our minds. It worked in the end. I mean, we had we had zero lost time injuries at all during the construction of the place, um, which was which was a real something that we're really, really proud of. Um, mm. uh, and um, but it was, you know, it certainly was a juggling act. Certainly was a juggling act. Mm. Um, I think that kind of covers covers all we need to know. Is there anything that you want to tell us about building a brewery that we haven't really talked about in terms of the location? Oh uh, well, uh, let me think. Uh, um, there were um, there were uh, yeah look there were a couple of um, other possible locations we were thinking about. We looked at we looked at a number of other a number of other similar sites. You know we knew we needed sort of Plus or minus five thousand square meters worth of building for our for our initial for our initial sort of production aspirations, expandable to probably add another two or three thousand square meters of warehousing space in the future. So you know that put limits on just availability to begin with. Um, but um, but uh, you know uh, I think we sort of landed on our feet very well. You know, like there were um, all the other sites that we were considering. Um, would have had their own challenges. At one point, we were even looking at um, we were even looking at a on a at a site um, at a site uh, sort of near the um, out near the airport. Um, and um, while it would have been very convenient for visitors and, and transport and everything like that, it didn't still have the you know it wasn't a completely undeveloped um, sort of blank canvas like what we've got here. So we were really really spoiled in what we could build, and it's been a yeah it's been a kind of a yeah, a bit of an amazing gift to be able to put together not just the brewery and process equipment, but the building as well that'll hopefully um, 
see us through the next, uh, well, the next coming sort of decades, I guess. But um, no, more more to the point as well. It'd be great for Nick to get his act together and get the thing built and up because it'll be my new, um, it'll be my new local. You know, <laughs> I'll be. Um, I mean, I'm so spoiled for, um, I'm so spoiled for choice now. Um, like I've got, uh, I'll have, I'll have Nick down the road. I'll have fixation, stomping ground, um, Bowdriggy. Um, I just, uh, I think this little precinct that's developing in sort of Abbotsford, um, Collingwood, you know, Fitzroy, this area is, um, it's, it's pretty unique in Melbourne and it's, you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, I'm, uh, even though it's a long drive every day for me to come out to Dandenong South, I, I wouldn't have it any other way. So it's awesome to be able to have such great breweries in my own backyard. So I'm, um, I'm excited for Nick just, you know, just as much as I'm excited about what we're doing here, I guess. Well, that, that's one of the things that came up. Um, we also had Chris Domagala um, on the show, and he's currently at Brownstone Brewery. Mm-hmm. Um, he's planning his own brew pub uh, in a part of Melbourne uh, around Mooney Valley, which doesn't have... Mm-hmm. Uh, any breweries at the moment, so yep. you know he saw a, he saw a gap in the market and he's found a you know hopefully a place that will, will work in that sense that it'll be the only one. And on the flip side, yeah. Nick um, can probably take a few more risks with what he's got going because he's got he's got people that are coming here already engaged with fixation and something ground that, that are familiar with those big brands, and then you know they're coming to something a bit more esoteric and, and Nick so. You know, yeah, I think that location and his in that respect works really well for his his project. Yeah, it's that additive sort of competition. Do you build your hat shop in the hat shop street, or do you build it uh, in the street that has no hat shop? You know, mm. like it's uh, it's really interesting. And um, if nothing else, from a purely selfish point of view, I'm really glad Nick's put it where it where he has. <laughs> um, because um, I mean, uh, like like I guess the the um, like I guess the you know the borough market sort of region in London. You know, like the you know there's this there's this little precinct that's, um, or that London Bridge area, you know, there's this precinct that's formed now in Melbourne that means that you can practically ride your bike. I mean, after only having tr- tr- drunk uh, mid-strength beer, of course, so yeah. they condone uh, drunken cycling. But, yeah. uh, you know, you can ride your bike from, from brewery to brewery, or even just walk from brewery to brewery to brewery. And, um, and um, you know, it's it's something that um, that I'm kind of, you know, in a different way, excited of out here as well. We've got some great breweries around us. You know, we've got um, the Brownstone guys, Dainton, Kaiju, a number of others that are um, sort of within a stone's throw now. So, um, um, like a, like I said, purely from a selfish point of view, I'm I'm surrounded on the home front, living in Abbotsford. I've got all these great options there. But also, um, at the end of work, I can't. Um, one of the nice things about our industry, I guess, that people always bang on about, but it's it's true, you know. It's uh, there's nothing nicer than um, than sharing a knockoff in uh, in a mate's brewery, you know, or um, or heading somewhere with uh, after a hard day's work and um, and enjoying beers um, just at, at a friend's place down the road. I guess that's almost a flip side as well of being, um, you know, out where you are. The, the distances, even though they're probably a lot further than, than Collingwood or Abbotsford. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, it still gives, say, someone like me, uh, you know, I'm in Footscray here, yep. so it's, it's a long way to get to, but if yep. I know that I can see three or four breweries and, you know, go with a few mates, then it becomes yeah. something that's a, a little bit more or easier to do or, or I guess um, it's going to encourage me to do it. Um, yeah, I, I look forward there. to that happening. I look forward to that happening. Like, uh, I mean, I, um, and yeah, I love all the beers that the guys around here produce as well, so um, it's... Uh, It'll be nice to get something happening like that, sort of longer term, you know, a bit of a, a bit of a, um, a tour around the breweries nearby. Yeah, no, it's good. But um, 
the other thing that sort of unexpectedly works for us is there's just so many people who work here. You know, as uh, the factory next door to us has as its shift changes hundreds of people, maybe 600 people ending their shift at once out of one single organization. And uh, let me tell you, on a Thursday and Friday afternoon, they're thirsty. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's great having those guys come in. And, um, and it's, um, you know, it's for us, you know, providing a bit of a focal point for the community is, you know, it's, it's super important. It's part of what we wanted to do setting up here. You know, we weren't just, we weren't, there's all the practical, um, there's all the practicalities we've been over a couple of times now about space, you know, um, utilities and services and logistics. But, um, you know, when we did land on a place, we didn't just want to be blow-in. We also wanted to be part of the community. And, and having, we've only been open now for a couple of Fridays, you know, to, you know, it's a bit of a sort of a soft launch and um, opened it up to the guys in the nearby, in the nearby factories. And, and being so nicely supported by them is, um, it's an awesome feeling, right? Because we, uh, we very much want to be part of this, part of this community here. Well, that's, that's another thing that I think people kind of don't realise, or, or, and we talked about this with Chris and uh, Nick, uh, the, that you know, a pub isn't going to open up around there or a, a bar isn't going to open up around there. Mm-hmm. The brewery is because of all the, yeah. you know, the reasons why it's, it's beneficial. And mm-hmm. then suddenly these people have somewhere to drink when they knock off or, um, you know, we talked about Fury and Sons here in Melbourne yeah. and Keelor mm-hmm. Park. Yep. And you know, there is quite a bit of suburban life around there. People people live yeah. and work around there, but you wouldn't open a bar there, but suddenly a, a brewery pops up and people wanna you know, people have somewhere to, to go and call the community hub. So Yeah, um, it's gonna be a, yeah, exactly. You know, like um we've got a lot of residential land around here as well as the as well as a couple of these big mega factories nearby. Yeah. You know, L'Oreal and Shaco and Chiabani and these others. Um and um and yeah, you know, hopefully we can hopefully we can come become a bit of a centre for those guys. Not for people who don't necessarily want to make the trip out to the city, you know, mm. um, but still want somewhere nice to go where they know the beer's fresh, where they know it's being made. Um, and it's um, yeah, it's great for us and it's great for the brewers as well to be able to sort of meet the people and um, who are drinking their beer. You know, it makes it all a bit more personal. And it's something that I think in in larger production facilities you can get um, a little alienated from the you know, talking sort of Marxist terms, you know, like, uh, um, you know, it's nice, it's nice to, to not be alienated from the, the kind of the, the products of your labour or all the people who are drinking um, your beer as well. You know, it's really them who we do this, who we do this work for. And, um, and to be able to sell it in your local community is a nice, very, very nice thing. And, and people love going to a brewery, even if they might not like the beer inside. Yep. Um, you know, it might not be what they normally like to drink. There's, yeah, there's, yeah. For some reason, there's something exciting about looking at a brewery, isn't there? Ah, oh, there certainly is. And I mean, um, uh, if I, I know you haven't had a chance to make it yet, but you and all the listeners, I'd encourage you to come out because it's, uh, it's a long drive, but it's a, it really is a beautiful brewery. This one that we've built here, it's, um, it's, um, apart from being functional and cool, the, um, I mean, if, if breweries are your thing, it really is a work of art. The, um, the process equipment, the brew house, the fermentation cellar all look, um, look really, really beautiful. Um, and, um, another, another nice thing, sort of only semi intended in the site layout is that, um, the bar is facing due west. So we've been getting these beautiful sunsets. Um, ah. and it's, uh, yeah, it's a really, uh, um, a really sort of striking sunset over these market gardens we've got across the road from us. So it's uh, there's a little ephemeral wetland, um, and 
and you wouldn't know you're in Dandenong South, you know, beautiful little market gardens and, um, and, uh, and, and yeah, stunning sunsets almost every day. It doesn't sound too bad at all. Yeah, it's not bad. <laughs> um, thank you so much for your time. Uh, hey, it's my pleasure. Thank you.